MFs, welcome back. Hustle Like You Broke. Very special election recap, post-election. You know, life goes on. God willing, it only gets better from here. That is what we are doing. We have a supersized cast of characters joining us today. Alongside me, I have the incomparable Christine Dallas. Feel free to say hello, Dallas. Hello, everyone. Glad to have you guys all on board. Hey, team. Thank you, What's Dallas. Up? We also have Mr. Motherfucker himself, Kyle Hamilton, in the building. Raiders, good evening. No Raiders. <laughs> Sad to say, no Brother Banks joining us today. He has uh, gainful employment, as always. We do not begrudge anyone with gainful employment these days. But filling his shoes, again, we have a great collection of characters, starting with a good friend of the program making his third appearance on the podcast, which makes him our most seasoned guest so far. Bobby Schneider in the house. Welcome back. Thank you for being with us. As usual, humbled. Thanks uh, for having me, and thanks for uh, for allowing me to create chaos in your in your normally orderly world. Well, we are anything but orderly. I am pretty sure anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows that part. But thank you for helping us create the illusion. And uh, since you actually helped us to curate today's episode, rather than my doing the introductions, how about you introduce the rest of, uh, of our cast of characters for today? All right. I'd, I'd like to do that. That'd be, that'd be my honor. So I'd like to introduce my dear friend, um, Co-worker, compatriot, um, leader, uh, good example for for me, Jim Digby, who is a fellow production manager, uh, heads up uh, Event Safety Alliance, um, has his hands in many things, is is an activist, a family man, a father. So honored to always honored to to be alongside him. Um, thank you for joining, Jim. Thank you, Bobby. I think you know how much I am grateful for the opportunity to be alongside you here in this conversation and and to support the work that you do. And I'm honored to be among this entire group. I haven't seen some of these people for some time now, and it's good to see them all, at least virtually. That's uh, that's that's good. Thank you. I'm <coughs> humbled. And and next, just in no particular order, uh, my new friend. Uh, um, Mariah Kenner, uh, who I met through, I think sort of through Jim, and we worked on some political bases. We haven't toured together, but she's good friends with my other friend, Elizabeth, so uh, comes from good stock, and we joined forces uh, politically, and hopefully we can join forces, you know, touring and and event-wise as the future comes, because uh, I think it's been good through this. I think everybody's making some new contacts and creating some different kinds of relationships. And, I, and although we haven't actually spoken, I think we maybe saw each other on one Zoom. It's really nice to have you here. And thanks for your energy and thanks for joining. For sure. Thanks for inviting me. Welcome. Um, Mr. Amico, um, who uh, Ray Amico and I have worked together for many years. I think he knows everybody on this. He 
you know, is a, is a cast of characters all on his own, uh, has also, will give us an interesting spin today uh, politically for himself because he's been running for office. Um, and I haven't really caught up on, on what the results were, if they're actually still counting, if there's been any cheating. Are you going to do something outside like Waterworks or maybe Bed Bath & Beyond? That's because that, if you didn't book the right place, we can get you that parking lot. I'm, uh, I'm trying to become uh, the, the actual Aquaman because I'm, uh, I'm running for the board of directors of the, the Desert Water Agency out here in the Coachella Valley to hopefully become one who determines uh, water policy in, uh, and fight the power out here. Uh, it was it was literally just uh, when our when our business shut down in March. I looked around and said, "What can I do?" And I had always dreamed about running for 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 public office, for elected office. So I said, "All right, that that's what my job is now." So for the last six, six months, seven months, I've been uh, I've been researching, you know, being a first time running a campaign, etc. So uh, it's kept me it's kept me busy. Let's put it that way. Practical experience, and so far, and. And last, but certainly not least, uh, one of my new favorite people in my life, Raina, uh, and I work together on pentatonics, but we have, um, I, I don't know, for me, uh, I sort of tried to see the world through her eyes. I have, as most of you know, a daughter that's a bit younger than Raina, and Raina is, besides being a badass Pro Tools operator, um, is an activist and you know you she's she's a movie producer a film producer she's a photographer um, newly married congratulations again and uh, she's been on the front lines and you know she's someone that when i hang up i usually say don't take any shit from anybody and she doesn't and we are happy to have your energy and your view on on, on this, because it's important to hear from not a bunch of old white people all the time. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Um, I'm actually very honored to be uh, included with this uh, group of people. So thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. I well, think, Bobby, yeah, go ahead. And, and, and Matt, I mean, I just want to say that I had, a, I had, we talked yesterday for a minute and I just really wanted to say how much I really appreciate, um, how our relationship has grown into way more than we ever thought it would be when you called me to come and help with Kendrick. And, well, uh, you know, really, really appreciate you. You, you've done amazing with this, with this podcast. A lot of people pay a lot of attention to it. So, and it's, and it's needed. You've had great guests. You haven't been afraid to get people like Michael Strickland on who, you know, has, uh, has, has really, you know, I, I just want to shout out to him. He's done a lot for us and continues to fight, but you've, you've definitely reached into all areas and, and run a good show. Well, it's definitely a, we, it's definitely a group effort. So I got to give that shout out right back to Dallas, to Kyle, to banks, who's not here. And also our resident tech support, Sam, we appreciate all of them. We appreciate your kind words. Thank you for that. Thank I mean you that to, to Jim, all you guys. For sure, of course. And Jim, Likewise. it's good to have you back. We appreciate you being with us. I do want to make note that during those interests, does anybody want to take exception with the fact that Bobby referred to Mariah as coming from good stock, but he didn't say that about <laughs> anybody else? No, I think he's right on the mark. Yeah, is that right? Raina looks like she comes from good stock. I, I can't speak for, for the rest of you guys. Raina's I the mean, whole soup. 
So yeah, I'm I'm the stock. I'm I'm the the vegetables, the the meat, everything. Yeah. She's the whole soup. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Well, Bobby, we, you and I have been talking about doing this episode for a, a couple of weeks now. We we came up with the operating title Altogether Six Feet Apart, which, you know, I happen to think is fairly appropriate. It could also be six degrees apart, just because everyone in this business is within six degrees. Most of us are within two degrees. Um, certainly, if you know Bobby, you probably are at least one or two degrees of just about everybody else. Uh, I did have a mutual friend of ours, Bobby, suggest perhaps we should actually call it Back to the Future Six Feet Apart, mm. which I think is actually a fairly interesting and potentially appropriate title. But either which way, however we go. So we said we wanted to talk about the election. You know, I've never been short on words, but I do think before we get started with our discussion about the election, we do have one other voice that we're going to be hearing from today. So why not start off with that oh, voice right now? Uh, Bobby, you've heard this before since you're the one who sent it to us. But uh, for those of us that are actually watching, you know, look for those tears in Bobby's eyes because Sam is about to start playing the words of Bobby's daughter, Sophie Schneider, talking about her experience voting in her first election. So without further ado, so be it. Hello, everyone. My name's Sophie Schneider, and even though I can't be with you all on the call um, live, I'm going to record a little bit so you can have my voice um, be a part of this session, which I'm really honored that um, <laughs> that's even something y'all want to hear. I'm really happy to be here, so thanks. Um, in response to the questions um, I was asked about voting for the first time and hopeful for the future, this is a little thing I wrote, so I'm just going to read it so you hear it in my voice. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me here. So voting for the first time felt really good and important, especially after being in this awkward in-between of being old enough to feel the detrimental effects of the 2016 election, but not yet being, but being too young to have participated electorally. Um, especially, but honestly, especially voting in California, very blue. Um, it wasn't just the actual act of like, I knew my vote mattered, you know, my vote being counted, but it was going through the process of educating myself on all the propositions and engaging with my friends and peers about the issues that made a difference to me. That felt different and good and like something I really wanted to be doing. And going off of that, I have to tell you all that as much as I saw as I saw so many online resources encouraging, especially young people, like, vote, vote, it's the only way, it's the main way, it's the way you make your voice heard, it's how we make a difference. And I even participated in phone banking that kind of said the same thing to other folks. But I have to tell you all that voting feels like the bare minimum, and honestly not the main way for the changes I want to see enacted to come true. Um... I totally believe that voting is important. You're probably like, why is she here if she doesn't think that? No, I voted and I always will. And I think it's so important. And obviously efforts, especially led by black women such as Stacey Abrams in Georgia, made a difference to like mass mobilize people so that they could have their voices counted. But to me, it's actually really disempowering to put all of our faith in the ballot box and to believe that we have one or maybe two times a year where we, or every four years where we can make a difference. So to me, no, voting isn't the way I felt most empowered this year or any year, really. 
I feel hopeful for my future and our future when I engage in direct action. And to me, this means doing things like participating in mutual aid to redistribute my resources to folks in need, or things like engaging with the organization Surge or showing up for racial justice, to learn about police abolition and talk to other white people about how we can recognize and use our privilege to help those on the front lines of oppression. Believing that voting is the only way to make change seems like a great way to maintain the status quo. And as a young, white, queer, educated, and privileged person, I've done a lot of learning and unlearning to come to the conclusion that the status quo is absolutely not going to cut it. This has been known and asserted by people experiencing oppression for centuries. They've always known that the status quo was not enough. It's time that we all listen. Our ballots are not enough. We can make change by devoting our entire lives to exist in ways to dismantle white supremacy, to combat patriarchy and homophobia and xenophobia, and this boundless greed that we see in our world. That sounds super huge, and you're like, yeah, well, voting is, an, is a concrete step, and that sounds like this untangible thing. But honestly, I feel really empowered when I do things, small things, like um, showing up to events like this, I think make a difference. Talking to your neighbors, reading, watching, and listening to the voices of Black, Indigenous, people of color, low-income, queer, and trans activists and scholars who honestly have already done the work and have the ideas to make this world better. Listening to their voices makes a difference. Um, it's what you can do to give your money, your time, and your other resources, like your connections, um, not as charity, but as justice work and believing that when you do it. And there's this saying that's ubiquitous in mutual aid networks, which is, we keep us safe. I'm so hopeful to live in a world where this is true. I believe that we, as in people, <laughs> non-politicians, just people, know what we need to take care of ourselves and each other far, far beyond the ballot box. Okay, thanks for listening. I appreciate my voice being a part of this project, and I hope you all have a great day. So much Yo, smarter. Yeah, your daughter's than a G. I'm just well, gonna say. Well, I it. thought that was a great segue. <laughs> I thought that was a fantastic way to really kick things off. I do love seeing the tears in Bobby's eyes as he is wow. a proud father right now. I know if it was my 14-year-old who had said that, I would be equally enthusiastic and <sighs> probably crying as well, Bobby. I mean, you, you, again, you curated today, you came up with our basic list of questions. The first one being about the election and the outlook for the future. We just heard it from your daughter. What do you think? Why don't you start us off, please? Well, I, I too think that uh, it feels to me that, especially this time I voted and uh, of course, and I've always voted, um, I've remarked to a couple of friends, Jim, maybe you as well, that, you know, I've never, we've never really in, in, in our rock and roll lifestyle, our touring lifestyle, we've never really had to be so involved in politics. We lived in our own bubble and now it matters. And this time I was involved in the election and, and I got, I mean, I keep getting texts from the Biden campaign thanking me for my involvement. I don't feel like I even did anything. And I mean, Jim was first person to text me and said, look at the work you did. And I feel that it counts, um, but it's disheartening to see all the work 
and then all the cause for celebration just to be downtrodden by the existing administration and and just it, it's hard to deal with. So um, I'm very proud of the work we did in the end. I think I take I take um, credit for what I did, which I didn't think mattered. So but as Jim said to me, we're just beginning. And as Sophie said, we're just beginning. This is just just to start. We 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 have a lot to do. And I do feel hopeful. I do feel that Biden is a good man, which is what's needed. I do feel he's got good backup. I actually heard an interview with Bernie Sanders yesterday, who's probably going to be part of this administration. He's already agreed to it. He's already going to hold on to his Senate seat. So they've obviously been talking about it. And it's a travesty what's happening now in, in, in this administration and, and the fight and, and the money. I mean, I thought I was done getting texts about asking me for money. And I even got another Biden HQ text this morning asking, saying they need to raise $30 million for a legal fund. I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's good, uh, but it's definitely um, given me fuel to move forward and do the next thing. And I think, I think the next thing for any of us that want to be active, at least in the politics side, is to support the Senate race in Georgia, because the Senate, the Senate, is so important. If even if we ha- even if we win one of those seats, we've just got a better chance of of Mitch McConnell not riding herd who. You know, there's some dangerous characters in 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 charge, and you know, um, sh- short of all coming together and trying to fight that, I mean, he is one. So um, that's my general outlook. But I feel hopeful, and I feel like stuff like us talking about it is going to be: What did you do today? What can we do? Where can we help? Where where can we help to drive this? We may not even see these big sweeping changes in our in in our lifetime. But know that we've already seen a big sweeping change. This election is is just this is historic. What's happened here, and it will continue to be historic. Historic. Let's hope that it uh, it holds up. I, I am still cautiously optimistic, but uh, to be honest, admittedly skeptical. Uh, I think that Biden has clearly won this election and should and likely will. Uh, you know take over in January, but, uh, man, it's, it's, there's still a fight to be had. Uh, we did talk a little bit before Bobby, we've joked a couple of times and you also credited Mariah. We joked about how you and your, 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 uh, efforts turned Arizona Mariah, as we understand helped in those efforts. So certainly appreciate you referencing the importance of turning our attention to Georgia. I suppose perhaps, Mariah, perhaps you could weigh in, given your experience working, you know, with Bobby on efforts in Arizona and or otherwise, whatever else you've been doing. Love to hear your thoughts on that. And then Jim, Bobby credited you a couple of times in his opening there with being, uh, you know, a, a motivating force. So perhaps you could go after and and let us know your thoughts. But Mariah, please. Yeah, so this this summer I started the Word of Mouth Coalition with a bunch of other strong females uh, in the touring industry. Um, Samara, Goldhatch, uh, Elizabeth Pickroll, uh, Ali Vatter, uh, let's see, Brittany Kiefer. Everyone holds um, Becca White, Meg Tempio, 
everyone from audio to other promoter reps to tour accountants. Um, interesting that we started with all women, but that's how it, it happened. And I just called and said, why don't we get not only a bunch of our industry friends that are sitting at home equally politically as frustrated as we are to do more than just vote? We have the time and the resources and the know-how to phone bank, to text bank, to mobilize. I mean, we all know that we could get the counting done and all these, you know, whether it be a natural disaster or a big event, we could we could have fixed it by now, our industry. So we're all capable of doing that. And then just rallying our friends and family as well, the people that still had their jobs and still um, were working full time and raising kids to say, can you donate two hours a week or maybe one weekend a month to go register voters or text bank or phone bank. And we have um, about 1,500 people following us on a private Facebook page. We kept it private to keep the trolls out because uh, we just didn't want to spend time dealing with that. And then we have about six hundred, five or 600 on Instagram um, with not a much overlap. And we know we mobilized a couple hundred people. And I feel that some of those people we helped mobilize were Jim and Bobby. <laughs> they were also on the same page of mobilizing. And that's why mutual friends, industry friends connected us. Cause they're like, do you guys know what he like, let's not drown each other out. Let's all work together. And so Bobby had the vision of, I loved the slogan, the roadies um, for Biden thing. I phone banked with him once, but I've also was phone banking with to swing Pennsylvania blue uh, phone banking for Biden text banking for Amy McGrath. I was trying to do a couple hours every week. Um, and I think I've been getting a lot of responses, Bobby, similar to you, of a lot of people reaching out going, I never would have gotten involved if you hadn't reached out or said something. And I think demystifying what phone banking and text banking is when you hear about your friends doing it and they go, this is the silly crap that happens. And this is like the worst it could be, but this is the best thing. Like Bobby's conversation about winning over that one voter totally outshines all those crappy conversations or hangups. And when you know you're making that difference, it's huge. And instead of looking for a job or getting work, I spent the past four months mobilizing myself and others for sure. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback from a couple dozen people. Now, as for going forward, a lot of people go, what's word of mouth doing next? And we are going to focus on Georgia. And I think if we have all these people that were focusing nationwide on various swing states, all the people that were working on Arizona, now we focus on Georgia, we could have a chance that I'm not going to lie, that one's going to be hard. That one's going to be really really hard because when you look at the split of the votes between the Republican candidates and the Dem candidates, if everyone that voted Republican go ahead and vote for the Republican in the runoff, they're easily going to win. So it's going to take a lot of work, Ms. Stacey Abrams, the New Georgia Project, all of that. And then the other two things word of mouth is going to promote, which is a side thing about maybe the future of politics and stuff. We're really into uh, the national um, popular vote pact which Colorado just passed, which if you get over uh, 200 and we need 270 electoral votes, so a few more states to join, and it could help override the Electoral College, which would allow everyone's vote to actually count. Because ultimately, like as Sophie said in hers, it's a California um, is blue, but it's purple. Every state we live in is purple. So it's just a different shade of purple. And it's a misconception to think that urban areas control voting. That's only an argument in the presidential election because Massachusetts, a blue, blue state, 
has a Republican governor, you know, and then there's Colorado. That's a purple state. And we used to have a Republican senator and Republican governors. So you can't say urban areas control the vote. That's not true. There's red people in urban areas. There's liberal people in rural areas. And I think the Electoral College is a archaic, outdated thing. And so that's another thing that we want to help promote, because how do we go forward with roadies being political, other people being political? We help get that stuff on the ballot and we help our neighbors know about it. It's the conversations that Sophie was mentioning. And then the other one is ranked choice voting to allow third party to be a bit more involved and actually have an option to get on the ballot. Because if you do a ranked choice vote, um, you don't feel like you're throwing away a vote for a third party person. If that's actually where your heart is, your vote will be to the next person who has a valid option. So I hope we can keep up the work. The Girls on Word of Mouth Coalition are still going to make slides and promote phone bank and text bank a few times a week. And when we get back to work, how, how are we going to mobilize others when we're working full time again and just seeing how we can keep it running? Mariah, I want to ask a couple of follow up questions, if you don't mind. You know, first, you referenced the governor or the Senate races in Georgia, and we all agree, extremely important. You said if everyone votes Republican, everyone that voted for Trump votes Republican, then the Republican candidates will win. Is that what you no, said? No, let me clarify. So there, if you look at the Republican Senate candidates, mm-hmm. there was more than one. And so if you, uh, the percentage leaned Republican on the Senate candidates uh, in Georgia. So right. the... We're the it's going into a runoff, but the Dems are behind in votes already with who just voted for them. So that's where I think there's it's not it's going to be a workout to get those two elected. They already have more people voting for the Republicans. But just to put a positive spin on it, if the people who voted Biden recognize that if they all go to the polls and vote Democrat instead of Republican, that then would create the opportunity for the Democratic candidates to win out and for the, for, for the Senate to effectively become a 50-50 split with that tying vote yes. going to Vice President Kamala Harris. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. But you have to think not everyone that voted for Biden voted for these Senate candidates. Clearly did mm-hmm. not. And, and you're right. That's where the shades of purple comes mm-hmm. into play, right? I live in the Boston area. I've been in Massachusetts most of my life, and everybody thinks of us as super liberal. And yet three of our last four governors have been Republican. Clearly there are people who are willing to vote you know, across party lines, or there are that many more independent people, but happen to lean more Democratic when it comes to the presidential candidates. I mean, I think it's, don't get me started. I think there are obvious reasons why the Democratic candidates have been far more qualified over each of the last, uh, you know, well, all of the elections in my lifetime. But, um, you know, again, we won't go too far down that road. One other question, then I want Jim to jump in. Um, You referenced uh, the, the, the work being done to get rid of the Electoral College. How many states are really on board for that at this point? There's around 12 to 15. California, New York, Massachusetts, Colorado, uh, enough to equal 90 electoral votes right now. And we need to get to 270. Um, Most of them are typically blue states or states that swing blue. Uh, So, yes, right now the argument is from the right that the Electoral College – you know, they, it's, it's just a false argument in my mind that it, it helps the rural people have a voice. 
And I don't think that make is actually true. I think if everyone voted and it counted, you can see how many blue votes are in actually Wyoming, you know, and, and that's, there's rural people who feel liberal and there's urban people who lean right. I just, yes, there's a, a different hierarchy, like percentage wise, but I don't think it would control the whole election. I think it might actually encourage more people to vote if they don't think they're being ruled by electorates, they actually have a chance and their vote would matter. And then candidates have to campaign in states where they have the most votes. They don't have to just focus on seven states where it could clinch them the election and people might feel that they're actually talking to them. Now, I, I want to encourage everybody to jump in and it's not just, you know, I appreciate everyone being respectful and wanting to talk one at a time and wait their turn or what have you. I, you'll find quickly with me, if you don't know me, I, I, I try to be respectful, but when I got something to say, I'm sure as shit just open my mouth and start saying it. So feel free to shout me down, shut me up and jump in if you want to. I am going to push back on one thing you just said though, Mariah. And, and I do think that the right, when they say that they want those, those, you know, Midwestern Southern states to have their voices heard really, I mean, the electoral college was founded on the premise that a disproportionate number of those states wanted to maintain their racist uh, ideals and they wanted to maintain, um, you know, an equal share of power in spite of the fact that they do not represent uh, a majority of the population. And that is why they remain, uh, the Electoral College remains to this day. And I agree. Th that is why all of those states are going to continue to say, uh-uh, sorry, no, yep. we need it this way because, you know, fuck you all, you liberals. Um, our voice is just important, even though you're 100% right that, you know, it's the most anti-democratic thing we have in our country is to it's have the, like the electorate. And it's he, like the president said, if everybody could vote, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut no, off. It's, the president mm -hmm. said, if everybody had an equal opportunity to vote, nobody would ever vote a Republican candidate into office again. He actually said the quiet part out loud, and he said that more than once. And that's what it comes down to. And it does. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Mariah. Go, well, no, the last thing I was going to say is that they, um, with the electric, electric college, they, it's something that made sense, again, back in the day with the Constitution because they didn't have internet and TV to campaign. They had to inform the electrics to inform the people. And it's not changing with the times. It's suppression mixed with history. And we just techni technically, just technically alone, we don't need it anymore. Jim. I, I, <laughs> I think you're hitting on the deeper, the deeper systemic problem that, that includes racism. And that is we have a values issue in this country. We aren't teaching values from the time children are learning in school. We're not teaching equity and equality and diversity in those things. We're still living in those ages when it comes to when it comes to informing a valued society that's compassionate, that understands what it means to look out for our fellow citizens. We're not teaching those things. So we end up in this place where an accused pedophile rapist is the president of the freaking country. So there's definitely a values issue. We also know now that, well, we've, we've known for some time that there are, we can't just think blue. Everybody has to be heard. We've got to find a way to get to the feelings, to get to the underlying causes for why people feel and believe that this guy is the best choice. That's not about that guy. That's about what have we done? What, what has gone wrong, in my view, 
in the education system that's brought us to this place where these things are okay. I'm Trump, hung up on it. Trump gained over 6 million votes. Exactly. He exactly. followers. 71 million people still voted for this fucking idiot, even after four years of bullshit. How is that even possible? Dallas, what were you just going to well, say? Well, I was going to say education and then to carry the same torch that you did. I mean, not just people, but women and black people and Hispanic people. And, you know, I live in Miami-Dade County and we have a very diverse community here, but the advertising was so effective. The Republican advertising was so effective about terrifying the Cubans and, you know, Venezuelans particularly about the socialists. They're going to come and get you. <laughs> and, you know, but you could see these ads and man, they nailed it. They did an exceptional job and it's terrifying because. And Florida is a great example. I'm sorry. Keep going. I want to talk about Florida for well, a minute. I just though. want to finish on the note that at the very most basic level as a woman, I can't even look at the man, let alone what he hasn't done for this country, let alone the lack of leadership that's extraordinarily been missing in the last year, you know, and so on and so forth. His racist, disgusting, sexist, everythingness, you know, I can't even talk about him without like just finding these emotions that I don't have for anybody else. And it's just because he just is such an insult to everything that matters to me, to my very core. And I find that the, the, that we live in a country that yes, you know, I now I'm a naturalized U.S. citizen. So the I was so excited the other day. I found my um, like first I don't know the first thing I filled out to get my voter's registration and be able to vote back way when many many years ago, and um, it was just so exciting. And just you know when when you go to the polls here, it's everybody who's managing the polls. They're all immigrants. You know the passion that those of us have for the the value of a democracy. I mean, I grew up under the Acropolis. Like literally, I grew up looking at the Parthenon. I kid you not. I played on those rocks and it definitely democracy is such an important thing to me. And the fact that we're sitting here and we have this confusion, um, let alone what we've lived through. Um, I'll go on, but I'll shut up. <laughs> um, I think I've made my point that it's just absolutely shocking. And yet we see it. I see it on my street. I see the diversity on my street and it's scary because to me, there's not even a thought about what our options are. It's quite clear. Well, and, and is it education? Is it miseducation? I mean, the evolution of this authoritarianism in the country with the, you know, this, I mean, Trump did a heck of a job of selling people on the concept of fake news. And the Republicans have done an incredible job of basically accusing the Democrats of doing everything they do. And the Democrats as a party, I really wanted to fuck with Florida for a minute, and maybe I'm going to get back to that. But the Democrats ever party are the worst fucking political party I have ever conceived in my mind. And yes, I align as a progressive-minded individual. I align with Democratic philosophy, but as a political party, they're fucking terrible at it. And the Republicans are just that much better. They're more organized. They're on brand. They're on message. It didn't start with Trump because Mitch McConnell was a fucking asshole the entire time Obama was in office, did everything he could to keep anything Obama wanted from happening to come true. And then then after eight years of Obama, 
the Republicans now, the, the reason they want to reelect Trump was, what do you want? Four more years of Obama? He didn't do anything. Actually, he did a, a lot in spite of the fact that the Democrats or the Republicans were always working against him. Ray, I'm sorry, you want to say something? I'm going to just keep uh, going. So I'll along, along, the, along the same exact line of what you're talking about, the lesson to be learned for all Democrats was the first vote right after Obama became president. He floated out uh, the Lilly Ledbetter uh, Act, which was a... Not not an overly not an overtly uh, liberal type of uh, legislation, etc. It was actually the first legislation put forward of saying, "Here's something that we can all agree upon." And the Republicans, as a mass, uh, on, on the uh, led by Mitch McConnell, not a single one of them voted for it. They voted as a block, and that was the exact thing that, unfortunately, Obama needed to learn and the Democrats needed to learn exactly at that point. They will not go along with you along anything. And Mitch McConnell telegraphed himself the entire time saying our entire mission is to make uh, Barack Obama a one term president. They they do not play. They do not play the game that we that is supposed to be played in the way that the Democrats are trying to play it. And the analogy has always been that the Democrats come to a gunfight with a with a with a screwdriver. You're like they 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 don't come armed the same way. And the thing that the Democrats need to have learned over all this time, and that the Republicans need to learn and understand, is when the expression says uh, 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 elections have consequences, they need to learn the consequences, which is why that Georgia election right now is so is so important. Because as soon as the Democrats do finally have the power back, there's not a chance in the world that they need to rest on any kind of uh, kumbaya. Oh, I need to. We need to reunite and everything. No, the Republicans and the games that they've played now for all these years now to under have to understand that they pushed the filibuster too far. The Republicans, basically, in my opinion, were the guy who got on the plane with the bomb in his shoe and made it so that nobody can ever get on a plane without their shoe with their shoes on anymore. As soon as they overused and abused the filibuster against against the Democrats for all these years. The filibuster needs to be completely wiped out because it's because it's not used the way that it, the way that it used to be used or respected. Um, there's so many things that used to be just common common courtesies uh, that that this past administration has had no absolute courtesy whatsoever. So those things now in the first first acts passed by a Democratic Senate Senate with a Democratic House and a Democratic presidency need to now make law things that used to be just common common courtesies. So, for instance, a presidential candidate has to release 12 years of their pre- of their tax returns or they're not allowed to run in a federal in a federal election. Uh there things that that were just uh, uh well, you know, these are norms and we'll accept these. No, don't make they're no longer norms. These have to be now legislated things that that everyone has to follow by because the Republicans do not follow by any kind of norms. And the de- that's the thing the Democrats as a Democrat myself have to learn. Republicans do not play fair. They do not play, play, play nice. And they're as sore losers as they are sore winners. And yeah, those, Demo- are, those are the truths. Democrats, uh, my, my issue with Democrats is that they seem to be a reactionary party, um, which is, it's, it's problematic because um, we've been going through this past four years, you know, thinking, okay, they, they won't do this. They won't do that. And we have seen time and time again that, yes, they will do that. Um, so like you were saying, Ray, is that, yeah, we need to put these things that we thought were just, you know, standards and norms. 
we need to put them actually on the books. So we're not always scrambling to chase our tails. I feel like that the, the problem with the Democratic Party is that it's always, it hasn't really embraced the fact that the people that are coming into the Democratic Party are leaning more to the left. They're more progressive. They're younger, you know, and they need to be included. They stole two. They stole two Senate, two two uh, uh, Supreme Court justices from from the Democrats. Stolen. Like th- there's ramifications for that. So now the courts, when we get a chance to, yes, the court should be expanded to thirteen. Uh, uh, Absolutely. The uh, thirteen people. Absolutely. Yeah. And you don't you don't want it too effing bad. I mean, if we were to if we were to get rid of the filibuster, get rid of gerrymandering, and get rid of the Electoral College, I think that the Republican Party would cease to exist within 10 years. I think you've just named Mariah's next manifesto. <laughs> well, yeah, just, my, my question was, I, I kept having this argument slash discussion with multiple friends um, in and outside of the industry, just people who like to talk politics. And they're like, Biden, of course, is going to win. I was like, hell no. That's why I'm working my ass off for the past four months. There is no fucking guarantee that this is going to happen. And I also think Biden and Pelosi are way more concerned about being centrist. They're way more concerned about upholding Citizens United. And they're way more concerned about winning over those middle centrist votes than actually reaching out to the American public and actually being the Bernies, the AOCs, the Warrens. Those are the big names in the party, the Stacey Abrams. And we could all go all the way down ticket to everyone's states of actual progressives. And if they actually ran along that, 70 to 80% of our country wants universal health care. They want free college. And that means it overlaps with independents and Republicans. Can we get to a place where AOC's ideas are not so controversial? I mean, Crazy. people are so triggered by her. It's ridiculous. And that's the education thing you were talking about. We need to go back to educating people. Why are all the people in South Florida... My significant other is from Miami and Cuban, and he is like, they fell for it. They all fell for the socialist bullshit. And we all know that that's not true. And it goes back to education. So how do we educate? How do we fight misinformation and disinformation? Because that is something that is not going away, and it is working so well for them. Well, I mean, you how can, do we I mean, contradict that? I mean, like, so, so we talk about, like, universal health care. And, like, I was listening to this interview with this guy who was responsible for demonizing a social, like a national healthcare, like the type of system that they have in Canada. And these are, and, and these are, you know, people like, like Rick Berman that, that, um, that were responsible for getting people on board with fracking and getting people to not want to change the uh, blood alcohol content from 0.08 to 0.03. We, you know, and, and there's all the science that backs it up. Republicans play dirty, you know, we need to play dirty as well. And we need, I mean, is it time to, am I going to, I was just say, is it time that we promote our own information campaigns? It's not disinformation. It's just actual information. Campaigns. I mean, I think we, it needs to be both, right? It has to be both. Well, information we, has to be louder than the disinformation. That's the challenge, mm-hmm. right? Well, it has to be louder and, and it has to be more unified and it has to be more forceful and it needs to be, I mean, we are dealing, let's be honest, the Republican Party, the majority of people that align with the Republican Party, the majority of Republican Party voters are un, are less educated individuals. And a lot of them may align with, you know, if you educate them, you give them the information, they might come around. But me, I, I'm wondering in all of this talk of, you know, Ray, you were talking about, uh, you know, 
we need to avoid the kumbaya bullshit and about unification and just focus on the facts. When is Biden or some fucking Democrat with a spine going to stand up and say, all of these fucking people that are in line behind Trump right now are putting this country at risk. All of these people are committing some form of fucking treason by not, by going against democracy and, and, and trying to protect somebody who has clearly proven himself ill-prepared and incapable. He is now not only denying danger to the country, he's going to get, he has not had exactly. He has not had a defense briefing since October 2nd. He has, decided that COVID is, I mean, they're still going with this. Is anybody still talking about COVID? It's a political scam. You you know that nobody's talking about it anymore. The fuck they're not. They're talking as much as ever. It's getting worse. 140,000 new COVID cases. 1,800 right? deaths just today. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it goes on. So I mean yeah. I, I don't know does it does it really take everybody going to the streets or or huge protests like you know you see in Europe that that actually make a difference I mean you know yes if, I think- if, if you if I mean that that matters but I mean you know does it and, and again Republicans will play dirty Trump will play dirty it won't be anything that anybody listens to it'll be an uprising and and the reason that he changed the 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 um, civil or the Pentagon, right? The three or four people where one was fired, a couple of, re- you know, just quit. The Secretary of Defense. Is because yeah. the Secretary, because if, if, if and when Portland or Oakland or LA or, or, or anything else starts any kind of uprising, he wants his people in there so that he can, he can dispatch, you know, militia there. And and that's fucking frightening, and that's what people are scared of. I mean, it worries me. I mean, you know, my daughter's not at home, right? I mean, we went to one we went to one event together. I mean, and it was the most peaceful gathering of people I've seen. Everyone wearing a max, people talking. There was unity. There was diversity. I mean, it was it was amazing. So you know, listen, the thoughts there. You know, I wrote something down. A minute ago, ago in in someone's conversation, and I wrote, you know, oh, I think um, Christine was talking about who is who is at the polling places, and it's and by staff by all immigrants, and it certainly seems like immigrants take a little more pride in 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 what our country should be than than we do. Maybe they have more hope because if you've left something that's so bad and you've come to this, at least it's better and your dream of what this is. I mean, we all need to believe in that again. It's, it's fucking crazy. What's it, it's beyond what it is crazy. What, what we see, if everybody on this call is not fucking pissed off, I mean, and I don't really know what to do about it. I mean, I honestly don't. I mean, I know I voted. I know I want to be active. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I'll go and stand up to tear gas, but I mean, what does it take? I bought a mask. I'm ready. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I bought a gas mask. So when I went, I like, if we have to go, we're going. Well, when I went to the, when I, but but how yeah, do you actually went, get? How do you actually get all these borderline? First of all, there's a lot of Democrats that are, you know, it's about money. And Biden, you know, I mean, there's already talk of Biden bringing on a, a Republican into his inner office. Right. I mean, 
And, you know, who do you say who has the balls? Kamala Harris has some fucking balls. AOC has some fucking balls. Casey has some balls. Right, yeah, Howard. Right. There are. There yeah. is the young. There is the young women of color. Mo- uh, person, yeah. Right, that are yeah, the not going to take how, any shit. That are pissed. The off. women. Yeah, the women, like, the women who got elected to the, the 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 women that got elected to Congress that are activists that aren't that don't come from money. They don't take that. That money. you know, like yeah, they don't come from corporate money. Everything was grassroots. I mean, protests are a jump off point. That's all it is. Protests are a way to get things. They're our to, only hope. Yes. I mean, but it, I mean, in, in LA, I mean, I've been, I've been out on the street actually on Saturday when I went to the Biden, um, you know, celebration, that was the first time in four months I haven't had to bring a gas mask and my goggles to a protest. Uh, and it was like, this is great. I mean, I was, it was amazing just to like not have that fear of LA Sheriff's department shooting at me for no reason. Um, so I think that the protests are, are a really good jump off point. But in, for example, in Los Angeles, we had a district attorney for three years that didn't prosecute any police involved related shootings. None. Every single one of them, she just was like, you know what? It's fine. We're going to pay a settlement. None of these families received any type of substantial justice. But as a result of protesting for three years straight in and out in front of the Hall of Justice in downtown Los Angeles for three years straight, we were able to vote in another person. So the protests are just, that's the mouthpiece. And then you organize from that point, you talk to your people, you talk to your family, you get communities and you get more people out to vote. So let's change the tone. Let's change the tone of this slightly. But before we go, Kyle, we haven't heard from you. We're curious your thoughts. <laughs> I don't know why you put me on the spot like that. Because I like to. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm indifferent in a lot of ways because I agree to to a degree. Some things, and like, for instance, going out protesting, I'm never going out of protest. I'm a 6'3", 200... 300 pound black man. I'm not getting fucked up by the police. I'm gonna stay my black ass at home. That's period. I'm already a threat just from from my appearance. I'm never going out there. Two is like for some of the things that you know we're we have issues with. You know, even with some of the healthcare stuff. You know, I'm self insured. I do all my own healthcare. I do all my own stuff. So I know I'm blessed to be able to do that. A lot of people aren't necessarily, but my my mindset is just you know I'm I'm like oh, this is it, it's 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 like you you feel like you have power to do things but you don't it's like you have and you you can go out there you can speak you can say this or that and the third hell even right now the he may very well not be the president I mean this this the electoral and all the other stuff can one eighty this whole situation. And and Biden and Kamala could very well not be in the office in the next 75 days or 70 days. That's very possible because, again, we don't run shit per se. It's done by a handful of people behind the doors who can uproot everything that everybody's out here fighting for. And in the next few, in the next two and a half months, it could be all kind of pandemonium going on. So it's like you just had to sit back and let it see how it's going to play out because Trump. Don't give a damn. And I've always said to people, I bet you Trump, This the way he even became president, he was so reckless that 
I believe, like the movie Trading Places. He and one of his very rich friends, he bet a dollar that he could become the president of the United States hmm. with one of his friends. And don't give a damn. He can care less. But he's a winner. He doesn't like to lose. So he really is going to just use – he doesn't care. So he's running out all the stops, exhausting all kind of monies and all kind of people's time to see what will happen. And his base is so hell-bent behind him, they're willing to do anything. Hell, they're about to just – Com, um, kidnap a, 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 a governor of of, 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 Michigan. of, of gov, Michigan. governor of Michigan, and he says, "Well, let's get to the bottom and figure it out." He, he's in, he's inherently giving them the keys to act a goddamn fool. So no all question, these people, no so it's like you can stop counting in Georgia, but you can continue counting in Alaska just because you're winning. He can't have it, but he can have it both ways that his base sees it like that. So it's like, you got to sit back and watch what's going to happen because, again, he doesn't care. He's just a dude. He He's so cold, he'll have you build a building for you, not pay you, and then file bankruptcy. That's how his model, model was from the beginning. And he's running this he's running this country like he does his businesses. I'm going to get everything out of you. And I'm saying, you know what? File bankruptcy. And I'm exempt from it. So he's a, he's a cold piece of work, and everybody behind him is, is just as cold. And so you just have to I, – I really don't have an answer for it, but as a black man, I sit back and just look. I have two two comments. One, I have a, a little conspiracy theory, which please just bear with me when you hear this. Um, he's already security risk as our president, and yes. once he's actually out of office – How's our CIA and our Secretary of State and all of them going to handle it? And I've had some very highly educated family members like, he's going to die of natural causes. He's that big of a security risk, right? And so, air quotes, since this is a podcast, natural causes. Like, Jeffrey Epstein, the situation, because how do we even deal with that? And if he is under, you know, um, what's it called? Secret Service, since every president has that afterwards. They're all going to be embedded with CIA people to watch the heck out of him because that man's millions, nearly billion dollars in debt. He will sell our country. We've already seen him sell us out. He sold out democracy. He's breaking down democracy. What is he going to do? That's something that I'm curious about. In addition to these 70 days, like Kyle said, we all are kind of, we feel this little sigh of relief, but we are all very skeptical and aware that we could have to take the streets with the exception of Kyle and people that should not to be safe, we have to go on their behalf because we need to to be spoken. And then another thing is John Stewart had this little movie this summer that came out, Irresistible. And there was a great great quote in there that talked about how Republicans use fear and Democrats use shame. And fear always works better than shame. And that is why the Republicans are organized. You just scare the crap out of people with all your misinformation. And thirdly, my last little tip is Colorado is a purple with our largest um, party is independent unaffiliated. More people in Colorado are unaffiliated than any other party with about 10, 20,000 than Dems and then 10, 20,000 less are Republicans. And the independents showed up better than anyone else. And I think if these two parties keep behaving the way they do, just everyone keep becoming unaffiliated and pretty soon they're going to have to realize that they don't have a leg to stand on. Well, on that note, I don't know. 
Go ahead. I don't know. I don't know where everybody else, you know, originated from, et cetera, like that. And so here's here's what I just wanted to point out. I, I grew up in Queens. I grew up in the next neighborhood over from the Trumps. And he's approximately 20 years older than I am. So when I was 15 years old in our neighborhood, he was the 35 year old bon vivant real estate mogul just really coming about. And so just na- just neighborhood wise. I, I'm very, very, very conscious of him. We all were that that were there. Um, anybody who's a New Yorker and and New Jersey who'd ever dealt with him through those time periods knew exactly the con artist that he always was. We in the neighborhood knew that he was a con artist. We knew that he was absolutely racist. We knew this all through that time, and his interaction then into Atlantic City and his involvement with the Russian mob at that time was where a lot of this got started. And the naivete or just the the ignorance of, say, a a large majority of this country to what his true background is and where he's from, including the the Republican enablers that like literally hitched, hitched a ride on with him for this last couple of years. The greatest thing that I could possibly say is the, 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 the knowledge that he's a con artist, the knowledge that he's that he's been doing this and doing it in, in plain sight for all this time, the only, only way this ever possibly breaks during this next 70 days, as Kyle's was saying, which is completely and absolutely true, we have to hold on like a roller coaster for the next 70 days of how this gets through. But the moment that he is literally out of office, the initialization of a nur- trial at Nuremberg type of attitude of the of the of the Democrats in charge of calling out these these things of actually putting these people his enablers everyone on trial of the things that they have done and there's no possible way that we can Gerald Ford uh, forgive any of this on these last seventy days the amount of pardons that he is going to hand out to his enablers to his family. He will attempt to do it to himself because it's never been tried. Why wouldn't he try? But the second he is actually out of office, we need to mobilize in the largest way possible a trial at Nuremberg type of investigations and actual uh, securing of, 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 uh, of subpoenas, of, in, of indictments, of prosecutions against these people to teach them this was what was wrong. Because if they didn't do that after the after the Nazis were out of power, and they let them all just like roaches go to South America, etc., and just go climb into you know crawl back into into the woodworks, they would also usurps. a lot of them came to America. We, we brought yes, a lot of them to America. A lot we brought of a lot of Nazis America. to America. Yeah. We brought a lot of Nazi scientists to America to 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 yep. participate and 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 help in in our in our rise of the fifties and sixties, etc. But mm-hmm. um. Uh, like I said, uh, uh, everything that Kyle said is exactly right. This this next seventy days, that we should not be we should not be uh, secure. We should not be uh, celebrating. We, this is this is the worst worst time period that we could possibly be looking at. But the second he is literally stepping, uh, he he won't even be at the inauguration. He from from the holidays on, he will go down to Mar-a-Lago. He will never go back to D.C. He will he will he will keep himself down in Mar-a-Lago through all of this, and the second that Biden is in and, and names a new DOJ, et cetera, a new attorney general, they, they have to have to go after these people and, and hammer them down because there's no... We have to make sure this doesn't happen again. That's the thing because all these people surged to bring Obama 
in, 15 million more than showed up at the Hillary Trump election. And then now we're at, what, 20 million more people voted than the last election? And then people get complacent again. We need to get people continuously involved because you get complacent and you can't just keep turning out when there's a big candidate, whether it be Obama or after a Trump. We need to figure out how to get all these people in because, yeah. People People can't do this part time anymore, right? What 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 needs to happen is all the people that voted for Biden need to be pissed off. And and unfortunately, I mean, you would think if you were Joe Biden right now, you'd go, you know what? Fuck you, Trump. You fucking asshole. We're I mean, in whatever political terms you can put that in, we're coming after you. I mean, he's barely spoken on this. I mean, he's I mean, done I, it in he's, a very gentle way, you know? He's trying to do it in a gentle way because, like, I feel like America is about to witness what happens when you try to break up with an abusive ex-boyfriend. You know, we're about to see a lot of gaslighting and a lot of abusive behavior and a lot of blaming and a lot of lashing out. And that's literally what we're seeing. And I think that's the reason why he's trying to keep this, like, okay, let's let's keep this, his, his, his messaging um, neutral because he's not trying to... F- fan any more flames he's not trying to add more gasoline to the fire so i, I want to jump in and, and i want to say just a couple of closing things and then i'd really like us to move on with the conversation I, I appreciate everyone's opinions we are all pretty much aligned here of course we don't have anybody of contrary opinion on the podcast to to give us any counterpoints which frankly i think is unfortunate i think it would be interesting to hear from somebody that is educated and Republican that is willing to go on record. I, I know I have a good friend, Jared, who works in a, at a music management firm. Uh, I mean, he's a very good person. Um, he grew up in a you know heavily Republican family from New Jersey, and he happens to believe a certain way. But he has been one that has been looking forward to Biden, hopefully winning this election. He has been one who has been wanting to, you know, turn the corner and get us to a better place where, you know, we can get back to the matter of, you know, politics being about politics and those of us who work in music and, you know, talk about music and, you know, getting back to work and not spend all of our time obsessing about Trump and what dumb shit he's going to do today, which ultimately delays, you know, the situation with COVID and ultimately means that getting back to work is going to be that much further off into the future. Uh, It means that, you know, festival announcements for late next year, which may actually be a reality in light of the possible vaccines that are coming along, um, you know, still need to be delayed because as long as there's bullshit like Trump and all of his, you know, talking heads, uh, you know, out there screaming at the top of their lungs, you know, we need to delay our recovery even longer. So rather than dwelling on that and spending any more time on that today, all we can do is, you know, console one another and agree with one another and uh, and hope for a better future. I will dovetail this back by going back to Florida and saying, looking at the demographics of Florida, there are a lot of educated communities in Florida. There are a lot of uh, minorities in Florida. There are a lot of aging people in Florida, and yet they vote Republican. So getting back on point to something Jim said, Mariah said, Bobby said, I think all of us have said, we definitely need to improve our messaging moving forward. We definitely need to focus on our consistency in our approach. We need to be a little more 
heavy handed, perhaps in some of that messaging, as Ray pointed out. And, um, you know, we need to get to the other side, but let's move on from that. Let's address briefly the fact that COVID is something we are still dealing with, and it is something that is not a political hoax. It is something that is being dealt with all across the globe. You know, there is this possible vaccine that Pfizer has announced, 90% accuracy. You know, the majority of, you know, test subjects so far have not actually been human beings. So there is a lot of testing that still needs to be done. There are a lot of issues that need to be overcome in terms of production, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of refrigeration. It apparently needs to be, you know, kept at negative 80 degrees Celsius in order to, you know, be remain effective. That's really fucking cold for all you non-scientists out there. And the reality is most hospitals do not have refrigeration systems that are that cold. Most rural communities do not have refrigeration systems that are that cold. Fucking UPS and FedEx are working on getting those sorts of technologies and those sorts of refrigeration systems in place in anticipation because the world needs that because we need that not just for sake of vaccines, but for sake of, you know, food preservation and so many other reasons. It's not just because of COVID these things are happening, but right now the majority of Americans do not and will not have access to this vaccine as quickly as any of us would like. So does anybody want to talk about COVID? Should we talk or should we jump right into, you know, getting back to work with COVID? Should we talk about COVID compliance? Should we talk about Ticketmaster's announcement? Bobby, what would you like to talk about next? If, if it's okay, I'd really like to throw it to Jim because uh, they've just, ESA has just come out with a new reopening guide. Um, that's going to be a, a benchmark for what we're, what we're going to start to see, um, if that's okay. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've read the Ticketmaster opening guide. It's a little different spin. It, it's Ticketmaster is more the audience, which is obviously important, but you know, um, there's a lot of other elements of, uh, of, of work and let's, uh, that's, that's where I take my guidance from. Uh, thanks Bobby. So the reopening guidance that we published in May remains largely still true. Um, you know, the, 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 the nature of the, of the, uh, pandemic, the nature of the disease has not shifted in such a way that, the way we combat it is any different. Um, so what we did really was kind of add a um, an illustrative uh, dialogue to the front of that guidance. We removed um, the, the the emphasis on surface contamination because the science has shown that surface contamination is less of a problem than we thought it was in May. Uh, but the emphasis still remains on face masks, hand washing, social distancing, and and why can't we all just get along? Uh, the, you know, it, it, I, I personally have begun, you know, what they're doing in Germany is a great example. So we've just recently had this test study from Leipzig, Germany, where 1500 participants went to a show of three different varieties of, of conditions. And by and large, the results were good, but the results were good because of certain things like air movement. So, uh, I've recently started this hypothesis that if we can have 200 people sitting in an airplane, the most closed uh, container vessel there is, 
and exchange the air to 20 to 30 times an hour, can we create circumstances similar to that inside a live event venue? You know, the idea that the, that the, that the vaccine is going to come rescue us in the near term, not happening. The idea that there's going to be some other major change that allows us to go back to work in the near term, it's not really going to happen. So what can we do with what we have now? We, we know that our, our, our audiences will disobey the mask rules, but we'll try, to, we'll try to hold them to it. We know that they'll disobey the social distancing rules, so we'll try to hold them to it. What can we do with respect to our venues to allow the venues to be, um, to be prepared for those rule breakers? And I argue that potentially, you know, let's get a Greco to pull up an air handling unit outside the back door if we've reduced our capacity by half, perhaps we can reduce the fire exit needs by half and, and try a couple of experiments where we're increasing the air handling capabilities in the venue uh, and seeing if we can get some portion of our business back to work. The other talk is everybody's targeting you know, warm weather next year. Everybody's targeting festival season next year. And in fact, many of the festivals have already begun selling tickets and many of them are already sold out. I don't think we'll have a problem getting an audience. We may have a problem getting an audience that's compliant, but I don't think people are going to, people are starved to be out of the house right now. So I don't think that's going to be our issue. Our issue is going to be getting the artists out of their homes into an environment that they're not, they're not comfortable in. I'll pause there. <laughs> Why pause there? I feel like you could keep going. So if we are back at reduced capacity, I mean, what does that look like? What does that mean for those of us that are being hired to work? I, I, Bobby, I, Jim, I don't know if you want to cra- take a crack at that or Bobby, you want to jump in or Ray. I mean, if you're putting together your production crew or Ray, you know, one of your tours, if you're going into half houses, your artist is obviously taking a haircut. The promoter's taking a haircut. You have some there are some new expenses that you need to pay for. There's compliance officers and what have you. Say, but but for short of just taking a haircut, I mean, are we taking out smaller crews? Are we taking out smaller productions? Or is it just, you know, everything scaled back? I mean, are there artists that are going to reinvest? Everyone needs to be a participant in this. Everybody needs to recognize that the the, the, the needs of the many greatly outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And I don't know that we're going to get to that place. There are managers saying my artist not going, is not leaving until they can get their full guarantee in a full house. I, for one, think that's short-sighted, right? I, I, I think we all have to work together to, and keep throwing darts at the wall until we find models that work. And, you know, there are some out there that are working. Albeit they're not profitable, but they're not, but they're people are working. People are getting back to work. There, there are some think, artists uh, that want to work. Sorry, go ahead, Ray. No, I was going to say I think there's a I think there's almost a straight analogy in economics to say look look at look at the the U.S. economy is uh, to me almost a, almost a, a perfect parallel example of, of something that to be looked at. Um, the U.S. economy for several decades has been inflated in ways where it's looked at as percentage of growth of gross domestic product of of percentage of percentage of growth per year balanced against its o- its overhead its its debt etc like that and i think there's been an unrealistic look at the the economy for the last either e- easily two or three decades in terms of what the realities of it actually are 
it's a it's a paper tiger as well as being just full, boosted up in, in false numbers and in, in false amounts. And I think that's a parallel to what our industry is going to be looked at, looked like, and looked at. And it'll to me, it all will start from the the true the true the true uh, incomes and true benefits of, of 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 how how it works. Will the promoters be comfortable in? Making contracts and and uh, and and issuing deposits, etc., based on a shrunken economy. Like take take the economy and the U.S. economy. And I'm I'm spitballing the number. The U.S. economy is a twenty trillion dollar economy. In reality, no, it's a ten trillion dollar economy with, with with and and with sizable debt. So our industry, if our industry was looked at as a whole. A much smaller pie, a much smaller distribution of 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 income, of 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 uh, of of, uh, of expenses, etc. Exactly how Jim was saying, everyone is going to have to look at it in a, in a completely different light in terms of what the potential of income is because of based on capacities, based on expenses, etc. And every single part of the industry will, will be affected some way in that between bus companies, between airlines, between truck companies, between vendors. Everybody's bottom lines are basically artificial to what they really actually are probably going to need to be. Ironically and, un- and unfortunately, I think we have a Republican par- problem in the in the major management of the music industry. I truly do. I think I think the greed exists. I don't I don't understand. To me, it made no sense why uh, a bunch of artists. I mean, there are some. It's few and far between. Were just not saying. Yeah, what do we need to do to tour? Maybe maybe now that there's been outdoor shows and new developments and you know and and people are starting to work again and you know maybe it's going to be testing you know it's there's there's going to be a lot of different elements i don't know rain and i just did a show right we did a live show with live people right it wasn't a drive-in show we did it at the naval academy which is a pretty sterile environment they have all been locked down on that campus they're tested once a week I don't really recall. Were they all? They were all wearing masks on the field, right? For the most part. Um, for the most part, but for the most I mean, part. that was the first concert they've probably seen right. in eight months. And anyway, months. they were they were socially distanced in a very interesting way. They were six feet apart together, um, but they all had their own chair, and they and basically it was their six foot space, and they really paid attention to the rules. But again, it's a it's a different audience. As a and we went audience. there. We were all we were all <laughs> tested. Um, I mean, very small crew, so it was easy for me to manage the catering. We did a takeout. I sent the menu out. I mean, I, I I have talked to other people exhaustively about how we could start. I mean, I think that you could. You know, I was talking to somebody about it today. For instance, you could take a dozen arenas, let's say. And you make a sound of light deal for these dozen arenas. Everybody basically gets the same equipment for the most part. It's consistent. Sort of like the House of Blues model was. The House of Blues model was great until everybody changed it. And everybody has to agree on, on calls or by contract, including people like me and Jim and Ray and Matt that are the tour directors, tour production managers, whatever position we're in. 
that we're all going to agree that we're not going to start fucking with the rules and we're not going to try. We got to bring this in because, you know, we all know that you, I mean, and Kyle, here's a question I want. I really need your opinion and raise. If, if, if you guys are on a tour and I say, all right, we're going to go do these 12 venues. Everyone has a profile. Everyone has this. This is the desk we're using. We've agreed to it. You know, maybe everybody gets a chance to rehearse on it so they can put their footprint on it and they have a file. And we're going to, and the same thing with lighting, and you're going to go from venue to venue. Maybe you have a couple of options in the venue. Maybe if the artist wants to pay another $2,000 out of their fee, that they get to use the floor light package, which is sitting there. Well, you know, there, there's a lot of ways to work through it, but basically everybody would have to cooperate. And I mean, I'd have no problem being part of that. I mean, and say, all right, well, look, here we can work, you know, where the venues are going to be 50% or 75% and everybody's going to do the same thing. And everybody, you know, and, and the price becomes cheap enough to staff these 12 places. Of course, this is all hypothetical. I haven't run any numbers. I haven't put anything down, but it makes sense to me that you could go and everything was maybe 200 miles apart. Maybe you built in that there was a day to travel. So if it's only 200 miles, maybe you could do it in a sprinter van in, in your own group where everybody's tested and we all have our own bubble. And when we come into a venue as a crew, we're not interacting with 16 or 50 other people, right? I mean, we're keeping to ourselves. We eat by ourselves. We have our own vehicle to move to and from the hotel for ourselves. There's a way to do it, but it would take massive cooperation. And it would take 10 managers that would say, you know, that's a great fucking idea. We can go do these tours. All of them can do it together. It can all be some, it could basically be a moving festival. Yeah, it's fixed production shows. It's that simple. It's no different well, from the Christmas well, What was your question for me? And, and, <laughs> I mean, the question was... If you were doing show X and you were used to using a Midas, and I'm probably going to say the wrong model, so I'm not going to say that. I know that's not the surface you hold. Whatever you have to use, if everybody, if every other sound engineer is agreeing to this method along the lines as part of this package, do you just adapt? I mean, we do that all the time. We do that now. I mean, if you go into a festival and they say, yo, you have a SD4, where you build your you build your file accordingly. I mean, that's what we do now. But you and me have never not brought our consoles into a festival, and we've done some crazy shit. But the reason why we do that is because it's most of the time our shows are a lot bigger than what everybody else's show is. So our infrastructure is different. But if everybody if it was a touring situation mm-hmm. and it's going mm-hmm. from and, and everybody builds on the same infrastructure, you can definitely do that. And everybody would then have to be part of the same guidelines. I mean, if you think about it. We do all these Zoom calls. So if you had 10 acts that were going to tour these 12 places, it would be smart for everybody, all the production managers, maybe even all the sound engineers, all the lighting people to talk, and everybody comes up <coughs> with a plan. I mean, it would but be here's the thing. Here's, here's, the thing. Cool. here's the thing. You got, like, for instance, everybody who's touring like that, you got different points. Some engineers are better or more qualified than others. So who's going to teach all the, nobody's necessarily out here to teach somebody else how to do a new console. Well, that actually, is that, is that, that, is that a problem? No, but there, 
rehearsal time is that much time anyway now. So I'm not I'm not have time to show somebody X how to use the desk. And then at the end of the day, it comes to well, I'm gonna have to do this, I'm gonna have to do that. Now I might as well mix that person's show. Now I gotta let jump me in also here. Point, let me also Go point ahead, out that what we're yep. let, let me point out that we're talking about in in a way the socialism of, of our we are. Uh, shit. That, well, it's, that in a certain okay. way, we're now. talking about Just socializing and uniforming and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that in a, in a detrimental way. I'm saying that in a way where the instrumental way, the logistical, theoretical to, to actual application way requires a thought process that mimics a socialistic type of organization. Great. Okay, this wait a second. I got to I got to jump in and I got to throw a couple of things out there. I got to play a little bit of devil's advocate for a second too. First of all, to Kyle's point, he's right. Basically, you have to basically work with the lowest common denominator if you're trying to get everybody to be able to be adept at using the same equipment. That that means the most sophisticated people, the most sophisticated equipment has no place there because not everybody's going to be able to use it. The second thing is this model sounds great for the core personnel that, you know, you need your tour manager, your production manager, you need your front of house, your monitors, your LD, your video guy. But what about all the other people that now still don't have a job? What about work, all the techs that they we, are all that, part of it, but they look, but you say, said but wait a second! You said us... you said what if we can use sprinter vans? Okay, well now well, you can no, bust no, no, industry no, no, doesn't no, get no, I want to know what is in Jim Digby's head right now. There's got to <laughs> be a, there's got to be a crew locally, right? There's got to be people that set this up. So in the grand scheme of things, we could look at this and we could say, okay, all the lighting people that are out of work from PRG, you know, they're gonna they're gonna staff this because. You're going to need a, at least a skeleton crew when when the when the act walks in the door, right? You're going to at least need to staff those positions. So you're just staffing those with more road people. They're all part of the the, the only way this truly truly works is if everybody is everything. If there's one team, right? Basically, all venues, all those guys have talked. I mean, to a certain degree, and and you are you are doing this as as a big festival and for once everybody cooperates and Ray's right you're all laughing because it could it could almost never happen because everybody wants their own bell and whistle but what if they just decided to actually play I want to hear what this is Jim yeah let's let's let Jim uh, yeah let's hear from Jim I I do think there is a place for modular touring I think that there is room for that but Jim please what, what do you have to say I mean, I, I think because of the journey with the Event Safety Alliance, I've learned to temper my desire to speak in absolutes. I don't think there's an all of us getting back to work overnight. I don't think yeah. there's an all of PRG going back to work on this. I think we have to understand that there's going to be a gradual return to work and right. a gradual employment need. And hopefully we can hopefully we can align those things so we don't lose the, the majority of our great humans that operate this business. But there is something in this model that is being explored, and that is this fixed production idea. We have to dismiss ourselves from the things we were doing in January, February of the the beginning of this year. That's not how it's going to be when we get back to this. If we want to get anybody back to work, We've got to let go of those things. We've got to get designers to not think about the latest console or the latest lighting fixture. 
hire the shit that's on the shelves that's already paid for. Everybody has to buy into this model. So maybe it's not a whole bunch of people working for a long period of time, but for a moment in time, we can go install in a dozen or two dozen venues across the country and create a bubble in those venues that have fixed production in them. I can put two or three different types of snakes on the floor and have two or three different types of consoles sitting in the back because guess what? Nobody shits working anyhow. So I'm going to drop down three or four different console types and we'll find one that you can work on. And if we can't, we'll find a tech who's out of work who can come help you. I'm confident there's something in this model here. We just got to gotta cut the belief that we've got to be the way it was. People, uh, listen, I've said this story before, but I, in June of COVID, um, we went to the, net, the Arboretum near us the day before the corpse flower bloomed. There was nobody there. We didn't wait in any lines. We paid $15 for the family to go with our masks on and see the corpse flower. Overnight, it bloomed. The next day we tried to go back, there were 13,000 people in line waiting for three hours to see the flower. So the point of that is I'm confident that the audience will come and that we can, and that we can cause these moments, these little gradual steps as we get from where we are now to something closer to where we were. Love that. And, and for, for our listeners who aren't seeing us as we're looking at each other, we're all pretty much nodding our heads in agreement, in agreement as, as to what Jim is saying. I, I, again, for, for me, I see a place for modular touring. And I, to Jim's point, I agree with coming back slowly. I do think it's going to make mean tempering expectations. I do think that it does mean that there are a lot of texts and there are a lot of you know, people that aren't, you know, in those higher levels that are not going to have consistent gainful employment at first, but hopefully over two to three years. We've talked about, not necessarily today, but a lot of us have talked about many times that, you know, getting back to work could be a two to three year process. It could be a three to five year process. And Jim, did you say or did Ray say, you know, that these you know, the designers, I think you just said it, designers need to, I mean, but the designers are the ones who command these major massive fees for saying we should do this. And they're going to have to, to temper those expectations and, and they're going to have to, you know, and, and managers and agents. We're not going to have to build the spectacular shows to get people to come back to see them. That's the, that's why the analogy of the corpse flower, people will want to come see something more raw right now. Guess what? It may be more attractive to do the Bruce Springsteen type show where it's just us in the arena and there's very few lights on. I, I'm confident that we don't need elaborate at this point in time. We just need something at this point. And you also have to think about the finances. Life Nation has lost so much money, if not gained money. The people putting up the money to put up the shows don't have as much money. Artist guarantees could be similar, could go down, also have to take temperature on the economy, have to take temperature on what people are willing to pay to go see, the risk they're willing to take with COVID and the social distancing. Are people going to, we know people want to go out, how many are going to turn out, what's the right price point. And then if you don't have to worry about paying for that production, that changes everything. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to, it's sad. We won't get everybody back to work in the beginning. But I think it's in everybody's best interest that we find models that we can sustain in the interim. I mean, I'm hearing from some of our vendors that if they don't, if they're not back at it by springtime, they're out of business and that's it. Kaput, doors closed. And I would hope that 
all of us have suffered enough during this that if, if it's left us with nothing else, it's the desire to make sure that everybody wins when we go back. Or we could have an eight-week lockdown and get rid of the virus, and then maybe we could all go back. Or we could do that. Hey, Germany! Germany is paying. They're, they're, they've either started to implement or are about to implement this this uh, mechanism where if you own a venue and you and you need to upgrade your uh, air handling system to reach these these new exchange rates that we talked about and to put UV filtration up in the system, the German government will pay the venue to get that done. And that's a long-term investment in resilience by doing so. We just don't have that kind of leadership. No, we can't even we can't even get people any money to survive. Twelve hundred dollars. We got people. We got people who can't feed themselves. Mm-hmm. Or we can't get everyone to wear a mask. It's like everyone. We could be way further along. And the things we're all talking about the circumstances on how to work around the lack of leadership and the lack of figuring out the virus. How are we going to work with this awful model, awful situation that they've given us versus actually we could fix the situation and all go back to the way Taiwan's doing full concerts at 10,000 and haven't had a death since April 10th. New Zealand, Australia. Yeah. Yeah, but unfortunately, the future yeah. the future ain't what it used to be. Uh, the the models and and ideas that ideas that people had of 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 what progression is and or what things should be is the same unrealistic thoughts of of going back to the fifties and going like let's go backwards and go to where it was to be. There's there's uh, uh, there's such an unfortunate mindset in this country of trying to just go back to how it was. This and this. it's it's it all has to be new. It all, the 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 circumstances have to be new. The expectations have to be new. I think. I think. I, I think. I think. Looking backwards to 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 trying to get to exactly where something was has has always been an unrealistic thing across the board. How it how it was sucks for a lot of people, and I don't know about you guys, but I didn't realize how much was bottled up inside of me when the election news broke. I was watching CNN, and when Van Jones spoke his heart and spoke his truth. I was mush for 30 minutes because I there was no not feeling that man's pain at just waking up every day and wondering whether or not he was going to survive that day or his children were going to survive that day because of the color of their skin. Fuck that. I'm not going back. Van Jones right. crying on CNN was all of us, I think, on Saturday. I think that was every single person. Wow. Um, yeah, no, I... Why? Why there's this preoccupation with taking things back? I mean, that, how do you get progress if you're always looking to the past? You know, so obviously this model that we're not working that we're, that we were working on is 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 not working for anybody right now. So so um, I think it was Ray. You were talking about these countries that are going back to work. Did they have lockdowns where they had some type of universal income given to the population so they could stay at home? Do they have well, they, like do they have like nationalized healthcare systems? Yep. And they you also follow I mean? science. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Taiwan's was beautiful in the sense that you have the VP, and I know a lot of us already know this story, but maybe the listeners don't. The VP is a John Hopkins educated epidemiologist in Taiwan, and the president is a female. And they never had a lockdown. They closed down big gatherings and live events for a few months. But what they did was there's a mask mandate, social distancing, and contact tracing. 250,000 to 300,000 people had to lose their quote-unquote freedom 
when they got contact traced and realized that they were around someone that had the virus, locked themselves up so the rest of the country could operate and run. They had their last death in April, and they had their first concert in, what, late July, early August, 10,000-packed arena with people in masks. They have not had any issues since. So, yeah, it's working. To, but that, they also have better a little bit of better health care system than we do. But it is. It's the income, the health care, the science. If everyone just wore a mask, we would be even in a better place right now. Uh, until we can all agree upon the same truths and that green is green and the sky is blue. Until, it, until truth is actually truth again, it's, it's, it's all folly. We, the truth has been completely destroyed. And we can't even have disagreements on actual things with, with people in, re, in reasonable, reasonable ways because we can't even agree upon truths. So it's, and I hate to sound so, so, uh, so dour and, and sad about it and, 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 and not looking towards what a future, a future would be. To me, a future only exists when we can finally agree upon actual truths. I can disagree with half of my family are, are Republicans and we, we disagree about, about, about things. I can't stand disagreeing with them about what a crook and con artist they, they, they voted for. So like, if we can't even agree upon actual truths, I just don't, I don't see, I don't see how we, how we move forward, how we progress. Well, I agree with all that. I, I think that uh, it's time we start winding this one down. I'm happy to pick this up another time, but it's getting late here on the East Coast. I think we're all preaching to the choir among ourselves and more than likely to our listener base. Anyone that's been with this podcast for a while now is probably, if they're still listening, they're still right-leaning, then they really fucking hate me because they've heard the things that I've been saying for the last several weeks. And uh, their, their reaction to today is likely to be no different. But before we go, how about everybody goes around? I always ask if there's one thing about the industry we could be doing better. I would, you know, what is it? I'd like to hear that from each of you. I'd also like to hear, you know, do you have any, any thought or any one idea that you think that's, that really needs to be addressed or considered, not just in the industry, but, I, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I wanted to bring make make, make a point. I'm just going to go ahead and make the point that I was going to make, and then you guys can all take it from there and follow my lead and say whatever the fuck you want to say. What I want to say is this. I've said over and over again that what we need to do as an industry moving forward is just to be better, to, to create a thriving business and not one that's just based on the perpetual growth of the artist and the manager and the promoter all of the time. And that means taking care of every single one of us. But the other thing that I've been really passionate about lately, and in particular, since we had Strickland on the program a couple weeks ago, and in particular, because of what's going on with the election and all of that, it's really made me think that our industry does not have enough voices that actually matter outside of our own industry bubble. That there are not people at the government level and DC on Capitol Hill that have any fucking concept of what it is that we go through. And when Marsha Blackburn is the only fucking voice on Capitol Hill that in government, not just Strickland, but in government that is willing to say something on the floor about what's going on. And she 
clearly doesn't know, even know what the fuck she's talking about when she says it. That's a fucking problem. We need people to step up. Mariah, you have a, a you are one of the people, and thank you for being with us today and letting us know what you are doing, because we need people like you. We need people that are willing to stand up and are willing to fight for change and are willing to be political, and we need more people that are willing to go to Washington alongside Strickland with him, you know, separate from him. But we need more active voices in the process so that people understand what the fuck that's going on, because clearly right now they don't. And that's all I'm going to say. Ray, I'm just looking at the order of people that are on my screen. Ray, you're in my top left. So why don't you go next? Well, first of all, thank you for including me in, in, in this discussion today, because uh, uh, in terms of, of, in terms of, pa of passions and and things that, uh, that, that I think, and that everyone thinks, I, I agree with you totally. Uh, the lack, the lack of say a, a coherent, uh, uh, contradictory, um, uh, person on this to, to talk about it, um, is probably, is probably, it would be a, a great thing because we are, we are all, all preaching from the same choir. Um, in terms of our industry, I've actually, my thoughts about our industry actually, still continue from before to now the new paradigm of what it should be. Um, this, this industry has been kind of uh, too uh, mercenary uh, in certain ways. As, as insular as it's always been in that we all know each other and we, we pass each other uh, on the road. And, and I, you know, I've gotten a million gigs from Bobby over the last 25 years of, hey, come out on this. And, you know, hey, I can't do this. Can we go do that? There's a collegial thing about it. What I noticed over the last bunch of years that I really didn't like about this industry is how mercenary it became of people undercutting each other and undercutting vendors, undercutting each other and people uh, positioning themselves for, for, for gigs where they, where they didn't used to. And I, I personally, it, I'll sound socialist again, um, the lack of organization as a whole of our, of our people, of, of our industry, of our representation of our labor force, of, of a realistic sense of, of how people that make the, what we do are able to uh, do a, are able to combine and do a, a health care of their own that actually could take care, uh, take care of, 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 uh, of an issue. Um, the, the healthcare industry that we have that kind of participates in, in the music industry is, as bad as it, as any kind of just basic emergency uh, uh, plan that if if you're if you had the worst worst case scenario of something happen you know you you'd go to a hospital but you're still going to get wiped out um, so there's a whole lot of organizational things that I would love to see in the paradigm shifted to what this industry becomes that it becomes I'm not saying it in a, in a, in a detrimental way but in a socialistic way that cares about itself, cares about its people, and takes care of its people. From, it, from the artist, through the booking agents, through the, the promoters, through everybody. And I, I hippie, 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 kumbaya, how I sound, but I just wish, it, I would, I just wish there was way more of an, an industry that cared about its industry. And, uh, and thanks, and like I said, thanks for including me in this. Uh, I, love, I love getting a chance to, to talk about these kind of things. Love it. Jim. I'm bummed that we didn't get to talk about Ray becoming a politician. Um, <laughs> that's right. Soon. 
making a difference. We appreciate that. Fight the power. It's incredible to think that, you know, I look around our community, our tribe, and I'm like, God, we do so much with so little on so little sleep and food and without any real organization. And yet we accomplish the, the unthinkable almost all the time without fail. And I, you know, I know it's been a, a, a it's been a, uh, a source of, of humor with the, what if roadies ran the world, but Jesus, it couldn't, it certainly couldn't get any worse right now for at least our country. And I think that, you know, I think that our commitment, our stick to itiveness is the thing that separates us from a lot. And I think we can make change. And I think, uh, Mariah, what you're doing is causing change. Ray, what you're doing is causing change. Everybody on this panel who got in and dug in and said, fuck that, I'm going to put my pants on every morning and I'm, gonna, and I'm not going to sit on the couch and waste COVID away worrying about how it used to be. I'm going to do something. And I think you know, that's demonstrative of the real who we are. And I completely agree with you, Ray, that you know, our industry is crying out for a, a revamp of how we do business. It's a paradigm shift. It's a cultural change. However you want to identify it, there is a need for looking at it from a different way. And that's not to be dismissive of the last 50 or 60 years. They were great. That was a hell of a party. But that's not the world we live in anymore. Just like when the when the Declaration of Independence was written, it's not the world we live in anymore. And we we know we care about the people. We're we're the most diverse industry out there. We celebrate diversity on stage every night. Why the fuck can't we get that right when it comes to the hiring process? So, you know, I, I think we got a long way to go. I'm hopeful because a lot of people are talking, and there's a lot of good ideas out there. And You've, you've all on this panel just demonstrated your ability to affect change. And I applaud the shit out of that. And I'm glad to be a part of that community. Thank you, Jim. Mariah, you're up. I have two things. I echo everything that they're saying. But one um, that I've been passionate, passionate about since I was a little kid is greening. I think our industry could be way more green with a way less effort. And it also goes back to the production and the designers. I've been talking to a lot of designers who are trying to become more green um, because it starts there. And if the artists, all these liberal artists who are so happy to promote liberal initiatives, if they demand it from their designer, the designer can demand it from the vendors and we can do everything. And yes, this is going to be hard with our current economic situation of us being out of work for years, but let's talk 10 years into the future and the Coldplay thing of like, we're not going to go out till it's green. And if it's simple, it's getting rid of the plastic water bottles to having a stage that's made out of recycled materials, whatever it may be, I think we can improve that. And if anyone ever wants to talk about that from here on out, I am here for that. I love that type of stuff. And I would be happily, Jim, anyone, I would love to discuss that. So I think that's one way our business can improve. And I know there's some designers taking this time to work with the vendors to talk about the right products to use that. And that's cool that they're doing that. Um, and then the other one is pay, um, transparency. And uh, this might be more of a female thing than a male thing, but you start talking to other people and you're like, you get paid this much. And they're like, fuck, you're overpaid or fuck, you're underpaid. Um, and they have no idea, including me at different times. And you, once you hear this pay transparency of what you're worth and what other people get for that same position. And again, that might be a, a female in the industry thing, but I know it happens to some males as well. I think there's some sort of benefit there to make sure people aren't being used. And then also people aren't 
being way overpaid. There, it could be very helpful. The negotiation tactics and taught stuff like that. Love that. Totally agree. Uh, the environmentalism very, very near and dear to me. So thank you for that, Raina. You're up next. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not a production manager. I'm not a tour manager. You know, I'm just a playback engineer. You know, so like, um, far from just I'm, a playback engineer. Well, I mean, in in the context of this conversation, when we're talking about the industry, I mean, I'm I'm not making any of the big decisions. You know, I'm just making sure that the show doesn't fall off the stage. Um, but for me, I will. I mean, but I mean, for me, what I the biggest thing that I would like to see is I want healthcare. That's really at the end of the day. That's all I want. I want employer backed healthcare. Why is it that? in every other facet of the entertainment industry, they have some, I mean, I know unionizing is a dirty word, but why is it so dirty? Because, you know, I mean, in, during the great depression, socialism wasn't a bad word when every, when the wealth disparities weren't as big as they are now, you know, socialism only becomes a bad word when there is these great, when there's a lot of have nots and a few at the top that have a lot of money. So how can we re- redistribute that from the top back to the bottom so people like me can just get some basic freaking health care, you know? So, you know, so things like mental health, you know, that is such a huge problem in our industry can get addressed where people can get a therapist and not have to pay $300 a month to better help. You know, I mean, like for me, it's just, it's real simple. I just, I just want health care. And to what Mariah was saying with, you know, the pay discrepancy, uh, transparencies, with what people are getting paid. Um, I would love to have not to have to negotiate every single new tour that I'm on. Couldn't there just be a baseline for if you are at this level of skill level, this is what you get paid. And if you're at that level of skill, this is what you get paid. You know, I once went on a tour two years ago and the tour manager accidentally sent out what everybody's, <laughs> what everybody was getting, <laughs> what everybody Yikes. was making. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, we're all in the same. We all got that Dropbox. <laughs> um, and, and that's when I found out that I would, you know, playback engineer, I'm making $800 more a day than the person that was wrangling the band, you know, and had like way more responsibilities than I did. And I just, I mean, I've gotten to a point in my career where I just put out a fuck you number and it seems to work 50% of the time. And then when it doesn't, I can at least negotiate, you know, from a higher number, but why do I have to do that for every single tour? Why do I, why can't we just have a standard and why can't I have healthcare? I would just like to imagine a future where artists could be, could look out for their, for their crew, for their employees a little bit better. You know, there's a lot of people that are suffering at the bottom and I would just like, uh, I would like the little, the little people to get a little bit more attention. Well, I, I just want to throw out there to any managers that are listening today, you actually misunderstood what Raina just said. She did not say that, the, that she's quoting a fuck you number to her. She was, what she meant to say was, her number is her number and fuck you, pay that to her. <laughs> and, and, and not a penny less. That's, that's what she said. And exactly. And um, moving on from there. 
I, I'll, I'll agree with the health care. I'm also going to say I still think negotiation is in order. And, and the truth be told, you're, 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 you're not worth what you say. You're worth what you negotiate. But I do think that having a baseline for all people at a, at a certain skill level, at a certain, certain job should be and deserves to be established so that nobody is getting screwed. I will say that. And Kyle, we can dispute this later because I know you like to talk about money. We'll talk about that another day. Bobby, please. Well, in listening to everybody talk, um, I would love to see some equanimity all across the board with what everybody does. Um, And for people to be treated fairly and for us to operate green. I think I've touched on all of these things on tours, um, diversity, hiring women, hiring people of color making an effort to do that, um, treating people fairly, treating them like humans, try to fight for people. So I, I believe in all that. It's made me think that maybe, you know, politically, for seeing what Mike Strickland's done, and I think he's really been the only one that's had any kind of seat at, at uh, uh, the table in Washington, why don't we, why don't most of us elect the Board of Governors? I mean, or whatever it's called. I I mean, you know, Ray Amico's already in politics. He's run for office. Mar- Mariah is very well versed in politics. Now, I mean, they happen to be on the call with us, right? But I mean, there have to be more people like that, that, you know, and I think that even if most signed on, you know, to having a voice in Washington, to maybe being a governing board of how you know you operate i mean it might mean that if you were part of this and someone offered you less than what you felt you deserved you could always turn it down or you can take it i mean it's going to remain somewhat of a free market i don't see us turn it into unfortunately a socialist but we certainly need some socialism right we do we need to treat each other better we need to treat each other fairly we need to stand up um with companies that don't treat people right, that don't give a shit about people. I mean, look, you know what? Artists and managers and and companies that don't care are still going to operate. They still may tour. There's still going to be people that work for them. But, you know, you can only control, maybe you can only control people that are like-minded to a certain degree. And it's got to start small. I mean, what comes of a call like this and a conversation to say, Hey, look, you know, does everybody want these things? If you want these four things, if you want equanimity, if you want a voice at the table for you, that's your peer in, in, in Washington, if you want, you know, maybe it's just a general big Facebook or some other social media outreach. And I'm saying it right here. I mean, who, who thinks that it would be good? You know, we all have people we respect. But we all do our individual thing. And even what's happened so far is, I mean, look, this is united, right? We're, we're, we're all, I think, on this call on the same page. So I guess my, my, my hope is, what the fuck are we going to do about it? What is our next fucking step? Who is in to actually take every, every idea we've talked about, whether it's developing, going to, to someone with the, that's a promoter, whether it's Live Nation or AEG or, or someone in between and go, hey, look, we've got a concept. We run all the numbers. 
12 venues are this far apart. This is how we're going to do it. We've already got everything in place. All you need to do is, is, is come up with the money. Would there be managers that might, 10 managers that might listen to us? But the point is, it's like Raina said, you know, I guess for anything, as mild as it is, this is kind of the protest right now. I mean, people are going to listen to this. You have an audience. You know, we're all going to, we should all promote this. And then we should all really think about, even if it's not just us, what our next step is, right? You know, we're all, we're all really not working right now. I'd be happy to be, if people would have me, I would be more than happy to be on. And again, I don't know if board of governors is the right word. I don't even know where that came from in my head. But what if there were 10 individuals that just basically represented the, the mass, and I mean, you could not sign on to it or sign on to it. It doesn't mean you're going to get paid or you're going to get more gigs. But the truth is that through um, community, um, we're going to be stronger. And, and through community, you're going to find other people that maybe you didn't know that are going to go, you know, I do business. I'm, I sit on a board with that guy. And you know what? I'd like to have some of what Mariah does on my tour because I know that She's spoken about green. So maybe it's not going to be her, but maybe it's going to be someone that follows those guidelines. I mean, let's start. That's what I hope for. What's the Tour Professional Alliance doing? Isn't that part of what they're doing is trying to create a, a board? And aren't some of you a part, part of, of that? I am a part of that. Um, I mean, the first, there is, there is, there is that, um, and and part of what the what the move immediate move is to be is to try to raise money grassroots through small contributions to get people through the next six months. That is the first objective of uh, TPA. And I'm happy if anybody on this would like to become a member. I will send you all the all the link, and you and you can join. We do meetings every week. Um, but I don't know that there's, I, you know, I, I, I guess I'm not on in, I'm in a I'm planning stage and I do some focus groups with them and I'm into it, but I don't know that I really saw that um, mission statement in, 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 in creating no, that. Yeah. Well, I, I would add, I don't know much about the TPA, but I think that whatever governing board there should be, if there were to be, needs to have representation across the touring industry. It needs to include promoters there needs to be some representation among, you know, other sides of the industry and not just the touring people themselves. Uh, but, but I am in favor of, uh, you know, having those conversations most assuredly. Uh, we got two more. We got my co-host still to go. And then we are a wrap for today. So Kyle Hamilton, what do you got? Everybody said it all. I mean... <laughs> And be brief. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I say you negotiate oh, what you accept. You do make your negotiations, accept what you accept, turn it down if you don't want to do it. Short and sweet. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to be happy with your decisions on any and everything. And uh the 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 the, the um it would, everything would come back. We're going to be back working sooner than later. Everybody got to have a mask on, and I'm going to go play golf. 
<laughs> there it is. Stealth. Do you wear, wear a mask when you play golf? Oh, no. no. Um, oh. Fresh air. Um, all I can say is... <laughs> fresh air when playing golf. <laughs> Dallas, go back please. to the same exact thing, shame Ultimately, no. Well, if we go back to the same exact thing, same exact way, shame I think everyone us. has put mm-hmm. it... Did we learn nothing? I think everyone has put it very well in varying different ways. I think that, you know, it's all the same sentiment. I don't think it's being socialist necessarily. I think it's being human. I don't want to, you know, ultimately I feel that we should be kind to each other because that's who we are, not because we're extremists in any direction politically. I just think, you know, it's because we wake up and we do our jobs. So let's get that definitely out there. Let's be kinder to each other. But it's going to be a long, long journey. And, uh, you know, wear your mask, wash your hands. And, you know, all this rhetoric is great. And as Bobby says, let's do something about it. But. You know, I remember the very beginning we talked about boards and governors and people freaked out because they didn't want to unionize and et cetera. And so without adding a whole nother episode here, I think the reality is that it's going to take a lot of work by everybody. And those that are in the positions that can make changes have to implement those changes. And so we look to all of you for that. And you. Well, there it is. You, you never do the work. To turn down <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what they say. <laughs> well, to our listeners, thank you for being with us today. On behalf of myself, Kyle, and Dallas, thanks to Ray, Jim, Mariah, Raina, Bobby, thank you for bringing this collection of people together. We appreciate all of you. We uh, look forward to continuing these conversations. Let's do this again sometime soon. And on that note, thank you all and good night.